835. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday morning. 51 degrees outside. Still a great stretch of weather. All right. Now, this is an interesting detail that was omitted when the Journal Sentinel reported on this incident. I just wonder, is this the sort of thing that they didn't think was relevant or maybe we just don't want to call attention to it, given the fact that you have the local newspaper that has been all in on Tom's trolley folly. You know, spending, we don't have enough money in Milwaukee to hire cops. Matter of fact, we don't have enough money to keep the cops that we have. We're going to have to get rid of those. We've got all these different financial problems. But you know what? We can take money and we can build a trolley that nobody is going to ride. Well, the process of building the trolley has been extremely rocky. If you have tried to drive anywhere in downtown Milwaukee, especially east of the river, you know, you really can't get there from where you start because the streets are completely torn up to put in this trolley. So you will remember a couple weeks ago, there was the massive power outage caused when crews working on the trolley hit a utility line and essentially, you know, you you had major businesses that were out of power for a, a relatively lengthy period of time. Now, this raised the question about how could this possibly happen? Number one, how, how could the people doing the work be so incompetent that they hit the utility line? But the bigger question was, when this trolley was designed and approved, we apparently spent an enormous amount of money, millions of dollars, relocating the utility lines so they weren't going to be in the path of the trolley. So how, how could that possibly happen? Well, nobody wants to answer those questions, but all right, so you had this a few weeks ago. Well, yesterday afternoon, there is the story about the Milwaukee Public Market, which is a wonderful place to go, by the way, in the Third Ward. Apparently, the Milwaukee Public Market was evacuated yesterday because of a gas leak. Now, here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. The Milwaukee public market was reopened Wednesday afternoon after a nearby gas leak forced its evacuation. A construction crew stuck struck a six-inch gas main on North Water Street and West St. Paul Avenue about 3 o'clock, forcing the evacuation of the area, including the market at 400 North Water Street. Um, we Energy officials said We Energy's crew stopped the leak and the market reopened about an hour later. Um, all right. Okay, so, all right, you've got this gas leak. It's construction. What is missing from that story? Well, what is missing from the story is, you don't have to call in. I got it for you. What's missing from the story is, what was the construction crew doing? And you've got three guesses, but the first two don't count. If you said this was another construction crew working on the streetcar line, you would be right. For the second time in just a few months, crews working to put in Tom's trolley folly hit a major utility. Um, this, again, caused the public market and nearby businesses to be evacuated. People were complaining about being nauseous. Um, the, um, you know, it's... It's one of these things where the big question that people are having is, you know, what's going on? We thought we spent all this money to move these utilities so they weren't going to be in the way of the various crews that are that are there. I mean, why is this around? I mean, apparently, We Energies was paid a lot of money to to move these utilities. Why were the utilities still there? I guess the overriding question becomes, this is now the second time this has happened. Is this going to continue to happen moving forward? You want to talk about, again, just the disaster that the streetcar is going to be. Nobody 
effectively is going to ride it. You're going to be funneling a ton of money into operating costs. You know that you're going to have all sorts of mechanical problems, and you can't get the thing built without hitting utility lines that apparently aren't supposed to be there but yet still are. You want to talk about an ongoing nightmare, this is what that is going to be. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. There is no question we have a problem in Wisconsin with figuring out how we are going to pay for road improvements. And there's lots of freeway work that has been delayed. There's lots of freeway work that has been put on the table. Um, Wisconsin is committed to several projects. One of the projects that we are committed to is work along I-94 between the state line through Kenosha and Racine County, doing work on the freeway and expanding it. The zoo interchange remains a major project, but one of the projects that's been looked at for a long period of time, including lots of planning and lots of different ideas, is expanding I-94, the east-west freeway, from the Marquette interchange out to the zoo interchange. This is controversial because there are a number of groups that just flat don't like freeways. And so they have been threatening to oppose it on a variety of reasons, because in order to do this, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to widen the freeways. Now, the plans that they have in place call for widening the freeways, but narrowing the lanes, more lanes, but narrower, more narrow lanes to avoid having to take as much possible land. To, so the idea is we're going to take as little land as possible. But nevertheless, there is going to be a taking of land. And you've got residents who live along that corridor who, who don't want to see that happen. So they've been threatening litigation to try to block this. You've also got a, a lack of money um, because we're already struggling to figure out where we're going to get the projects. So um, what was announced yesterday is that this reconstructing of I-94, again, between Marquette and the zoo interchanges, um, that, that's now been abandoned. Apparently, the feds were saying, look, um, there's federal money around to help, but unless you can come up with a commitment that you're going to be willing to proceed on this project, you know, that, that money is going to end up, you know, being gone. So the result of this is the, the ability to now expand the freeway, add lanes, it just it's flat out not going to happen. So as a result, what you're going to have is you're going to have the new freeway construction, which is essentially going to widen lanes and make it easier to travel from the state line up into Milwaukee along I-94. You're also going to have the work at the zoo interchange and, and west. So you've got those two things that where bottlenecks are relieved, but at least as it stands now, and it appears to be a done deal, the freeway as it exists between the Marquette Interchange and the Zoo Interchange, that's that's going to be the same old freeway that we've had for a long period of time. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Big story number one. How bad a problem is this going to be moving forward? I think this is – look, I understand – where this decision comes from. From the perspective of the governor, you've got a limited amount of money. You've got these other projects that are already underway, and projects. these projects are not controversial. You understand that if you're going to go ahead with this particular part of freeway expansion, you're going to be buying lawsuits, you're going to be tied up in the court, you're going to be fighting with the environmentalists. So I understand that if you're going to give up on a certain stretch of road improvement, that this is this is the low-hanging fruit. At the same time, I think this is extremely, 
extremely unfortunate because what I think you're going to have happening moving forward is you're, you're going to have bottlenecks. You know, you've it's sort of like, I don't know, you've got a sewer system and you clean out the line between your house and the street. And then you clean out the line from the filtration plant to the start of your street, but you leave that last piece of pipe blocked. That's what I am afraid that we are doing, and I think we're going to come to regret this decision not not two years from now. I think we're going to regret this decision pretty quickly. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How big an issue is this going to be moving forward? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The wait is over. You can now purchase your tickets to this year's WTMJ Holiday Radio Show uh, to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, you can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas. I personally can't wait. And you can see all your favorite voices on stage. You can be part of the live audience. Tickets are on sale now. Just go to papstheater.org today. Hurry, because they are already going fast. Um, I, I have not checked in the last two days. They went on sale Monday at noon, and by Tuesday, they were half gone. So I, I'm just, I'm, this isn't one of these... If you want to go, you know, buy net, buy before midnight tonight. It's just the reality is that this event tends to sell out very quickly. A lot of people that went to the first year show came back and went to the second year show, and you know it's a limited space. So if you're thinking about going or interested in going, tickets are twenty five bucks. Do not delay. PabstTheater.org. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. The expansion of I ninety four, the East West Freeway, that many of us get caught in on a regular basis. When there's heavy traffic or it rains or there's a collision, the proposal to expand that freeway stretch is now dead. Let's talk to Joe on the south side. Joe, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yes, uh, good morning, Jeff. I think it's about time we finish this thing, Jeff. It's been going on for a long time. It was designed for that extra lane. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to put everything on the Skywalker, but the Fed's got something to do with this, too. But I think the governor has sort of, like, let this thing go. Mm-hmm. Too long, and I don't know why. I can't figure out why. Well, I, I mean, I'll t- I mean, I'll tell you why, Joe. Because this this expansion to do this, it's going to cost about a billion dollars. One as B as in billion. And the problem is we don't have money in the transportation budget to do the you know I four the I ninety four expansion from the stri- from the state line and finish the zoo uh-huh. interchange and do all the other stuff that we got to do around the state. That's the problem. Yeah. But the legislatures came up with some ideas, yep. and he didn't like it. Right. Come on now, let's, let's, let's face it, Jeff. If you got to use that thing every day like some of those people have to do, yep. that's got to be the biggest pain in the neck in the world. Oh, yeah. He I came mean, up with some ideas, but he didn't like it. Now, listen, this is what I told your screener. I'm to the point now on that thing. We can get somebody decent that's running for governor, and he's going to finish that job one way or another. That's what I'm voting for. Okay. Simple and, as that. And if that, oh, means gas, right, if that means gas taxes or whatever, you're willing to do that. Uh, you damn right I'm ready to do that. Okay. All right. No, good enough. No, thanks for the call. Now, that's, th- this is, see, I-, I was not in favor of increasing gas taxes, but I was in favor of increased borrowing because I think we're doing it at a responsible level. But I do agree with Joe to the point that this this is a problem. You know, this it is a choke point, and it's going to continue to be a, a choke point. You've made it easier to travel north-south from the state line coming up into Milwaukee. You've made it easier to travel on the west side once the zoo interchange is finished. You made it easier to travel, okay, on the west side getting around. But you do have this major choke point. It's already unacceptable. And again, I understand... 
why this is happening. Like I say, it's the low-hanging fruit that's there. You know that if you were going to go ahead with this, first of all, it's a B is a billion dollars. Secondly, you're going to have a knockdown, drag-out battle with the environmentalists who've already declared, and some of the property owners that live along that stretch, who've already pretty much declared war on this project. So, I mean, understand. I understand the political expediency. I'm just telling you, I think we are going to come to regret this decision, you know, in, in a big way. Let's see. Justin writes, Uh, The governor took the politically safe way out of this, but his decision is going to cost us all in the long run, especially with a better flowing zoo interchange. I predict there will be even more accidents at Miller Park when eastbound traffic in the fast left lane encounters the backed up dangerous left exit for preferred parking at the Brewers games. Um, Yeah. Let me tell you how it's going to get even worse. If this cockamamie scheme to tear up city streets to make room for a so-called rapid bus line, you know, the line that we're going to tear up city streets, um, do away with lanes of traffic along Wisconsin Avenue and along Blue Mound Road, all to save a couple minutes between downtown and the medical college on a bus. If that ever comes to fruition, and I'm not sure it's going to, but if that ever comes to fruition, imagine what that is going to do because it's going to drive more and more people onto the freeway, especially because they're just not going to be able to, they're they're not going to be able to put up with, you know, sitting in traffic and losing lanes of traffic. That's going to make this whole thing um, even worse. Um, I understand the politics of it. And I understand why the governor did it, and maybe this was the politically expedient thing to do. But I'm here to tell you, I think as we're sitting in traffic over the next several years, waiting, hoping to either get through this stretch of road to be able to go south or waiting to get through this stretch of road to be able to go west, I think we're going to look back at these decisions over the last couple days, and we're really going to come to regret them. All right, it is 8.52 when we come back. Big story number two People unhappy in Mount Pleasant with Foxconn. Do they have a beef? Stick around. It's 855. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Packers might be banged up, but they sit atop their division at 3-1. and one. Meanwhile, the Cowboys have struggled to a 2-2 two and two mark. Where are they the most vulnerable? Radio analyst Larry McCarron breaks down the matchup during Wisconsin's afternoon news at 3.28. Coming up later in the 9 o'clock hour, speaking of football, is Cam Newton a sexist pig and... Uh, the local, the Madison-based Freedom From Religion Foundation, they're going after an Alabama high school. That is all coming up. Hey, scary news that this morning. Now, everybody is going back and trying to figure out what the motive of this crazy guy in Las Vegas was involved in the shooting. And I honestly don't think that we're ever going to know it. But uh, WGN out of Chicago is reporting that Stephen Paddock, who was the, the gunman, he apparently had booked two rooms in the Blackstone Hotel in Chicago. Now, the Blackstone Hotel in Chicago overlooks Grant Park, which is to what Chicago, you know, by the lakefront, it's, I mean, Central Park or whatever, would be to what Central Park is to New York. He had booked two rooms in the Blackstone Hotel. He had requested rooms with a view, and he had booked them um, right around the Lollapalooza. Now, Grant Park in Chicago is where the giant Lollapalooza festival is held every year, where they have all sorts of bands again, and, and, and people just flock to the area. He apparently booked one room for August 1st of 2017, which is two days before the festival started. He booked a second room for an August 3rd arrival, 
Both rooms had a checkout date of August 6th, which happened to be the day that Lollapalooza ended. He apparently requested a room with a view, but he never showed up for his reservation. Um, so apparently, again, for people who are wondering, you know, was this something that this guy was planning? The answer is a definitive yes. He was, in fact, planning this, and apparently he was actually even considering other potential targets. Very, very scary. All right, big story number two involves Stephen Paddock. Um, It now turns out that not only did he have an arsenal of firearms in his room, he had an arsenal of firearms, period. As they go back and they look at records, it turns out that over the last year alone, he had purchased approximately 33 weapons, Um, not automatic weapons, it doesn't appear, not guns that you're not legally allowed to own, but 33 guns in the last 12 months. Matter of fact, in just the week before the shooting, went into a gun store in his local community and he bought a rifle, not a semi-automatic rifle, but a bolt-action rifle. The gun dealer that sold him the gun, he says, yeah, this guy would come in here all the time. He would buy guns, but he used to go to our range. He was a regular shooter on our range. He said, I, I've cleaned. He would then hire us to clean clean his guns. You know, he had various different guns, and yeah, we came in, he, we'd clean them. He was an avid shooter. He did this a lot. But at various gun stores, um, he was able to purchase 33 guns in the last 12 months. Now, the way the law works is if you purchase multiple handguns, the handguns, that gets reported to the ATF. You're allowed to do it, but it gets reported. When it comes to rifles, there's no such reporting requirement. All right. 414-799-1620. That is big story number two. And this is my question. Should there be limits on the number of firearms that individuals can purchase in a given period of time. Should this guy have been allowed to purchase 33 weapons over the course of the last year? Think about it. We're going to talk about it right after the news. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We start off with that in just a couple minutes. Should there be limits on the number of firearms that people can purchase and or own? We'll discuss in just a couple minutes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so last week, when, when I go to the drugstore to get the, the stuff with the Sudafed, with the pseudoephedrine, you know, the stuff that, that really works, um, I, I have to sign for it. I have to sign a, a, a registration thing. It is then kept track of. And the government monitors how much Sudafed that I am taking in a particular month. When you go to buy a firearm from a licensed firearm dealer, if you buy handguns, if you buy two or more handguns at the same time, or you buy two or more guns within five consecutive business days from the same gun seller, that gun seller has to fill out a report that goes to ATF. Um, If you are buying a rifle, semi-automatic or otherwise, there is no federal requirement that multiple sales of rifles be reported. Now, the only exception to that is because they were trying to monitor um, rifle, firearm sales along border states. If you live in Arizona, California, um, New Mexico, and Texas, and you, you go and you buy an AR and you buy a semi-automatic weapon 
above 22 caliber, then the, the multiple firearm reporting thing applies. But as a general rule, there is no federal requirement that multiple sales of multiple purchases of rifles need to be reported. The Las Vegas shooter bought 33 guns in the last 12 months, not all of which were semi-automatic rifles. Matter of fact, the week before the shooting, he apparently went into a gun shop in his local community and bought a bolt-action rifle. But this is now raising questions about whether or not there should be limits on the number of firearms that somebody is able to purchase. I guess the question becomes, does, does somebody need 33? Do you need to buy 33 guns in the last year? Do Does an individual citizen need a, an arsenal of 50, 80, 100 guns? How does that deal? You know, and, but what about the people that want to collect? So 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a couple minutes, but I want to explore your thinking. Should there be limits on the number of firearms that keep people can purchase, or at the very least, if somebody is pol- purchasing multiple rifles from a particular gun dealer, should the government at least find out about that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Burlington. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's one of those slippery slope items. Um, you know, there's a lot of there would be so many exceptions. What about, you know, like a collector, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, yep. or or somebody that is, uh, you know, that deals in firearms and, and you know, he has to purchase them right. to, to sell them. And, well, let's know, exclude and, the dealer. I mean, I, I would agree with you. Let, let's exclude the licensed firearms dealer who, you know, has to own the inventory. But, you know, you or me, Mike, if all of a sudden we go out and we start acquiring firearms, um, should should the government know that, hey, Mike or Jeff, they've just bought an enormous number of firearms in the last year. Is that the government's business? Well, I, actually, no, I don't believe so, because, it, you know, if you're a collector and if you can afford it, it's mm-hmm. obviously probably a very expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were a gun collector, because uh, I'm not defending this guy by any means, but he didn't do, you know, anything illegal at all, you know. It, Until he started and, shooting, and, yeah. You know. Um, well, so the act, I, right, he know. did nothing illegal with the acquisition of the guns. It was only as, as he tried to act out. So you don't think right. that, you, you just don't think that it's anybody's business. If this guy is legally allowed to purchase guns, if he decides that he wants to go and in the space of, of a year buy 50, 60, 70, 80 guns, he bought 33. But as many as he wants, as long as he can afford them, you if think it's his afford, business. If he can afford it, yeah, I, I really believe that that's, you know, that that's, uh, you know, his right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't his right to do what he did, but it was his right to, you know, if he wanted to purchase a thousand guns. Okay, you know, thanks, uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Well, and I guess, I mean, then the flip side is, I mean, I guess there's really two questions. Should there be limits, number one, on on, on the number of guns that people can own? That, that's one issue. The second question would be, if if gun dealers have to notify the government about multiple purchases of handguns by the same person in a limited period of time, should those same rules apply to the purchases of rifles as well? So you're not limiting it, but at least there's some sort of notice. Now, what the government does with this information, I I, I don't know. And there's all sorts of, of course, ways around it because this just applies to individual gun dealers. So for example, um, if I wanted to acquire a whole bunch of handguns, um, I could 
I could buy a handgun every two weeks from the same dealer. That would not trigger this reporting requirement. I could buy a one handgun each from a whole series of dealers. That would not trigger this reporting requirement. So there are, in fact, ways around it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Germantown. Tom, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I don't think there's an issue with how many guns somebody buys. You can only shoot one gun at a time. Mm-hmm. But the bigger question is, we're talking about guns here. You, you. Well, I'll, I'll let you. Make, I'll let you finish that thought. But before we go on, I mean, you can only shoot one gun at a time. At the same time, this guy. We'll just take this as an example. I mean, he had an arsenal of weapons up in the room, and he was. I, I don't necessarily think he was just using the one gun. I think he was. He was. You know, firing multiple guns. Does does yeah. the fact that you could have that, that you could acquire and have this many guns, you don't think that contributed to the the carnage? I guess. Well, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know how many guns he was firing. Right. But the bigger question is, you nor anybody has asked, how many rounds did he fire? Where did he get the fifteen thousand mm-hmm. bullets? We we have to talk about limiting the amount of ammunition. Well, I, my understanding is he. My understanding is that he'd been stockpiling it over the years. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. When you go to the, you talked about pseudoephedrine, right? And I have the same issue. You can't buy it if you go in your thirteenth day. You can't buy it. I am not trying to take away the the gun, uh, average gun mm-hmm. owner, the hunter, right to have bullets. But if somebody buys bullets, should be in a register, and then when it hits a certain level. Uh, there should be someone visiting him from Homeland Security going, why do you have 30,000 rounds of bullets? Well, but how, how do you, I mean, let, let's talk about that practically. How, how do you do it? Let, let's say, let's say this, it appears that this is something that this guy had planned out for a long time. So yeah. let us assume he, he wants to, he's been stockpiling ammunition. So, all right, you know, once a week, and the guy was, the guy was a regular shooter. I mean, I, yeah, I was, yeah. I, you know, he, he would go to the gun ranges and stuff. So he's buying, I, I don't know, 500 rounds or so he's buying a thousand rounds or whatever over a period of time. Yeah. I mean, do you put a, would, would you put a limit on the number of bullets? I mean, cause he's, he's going to say, hey, I'm shooting these. I don't, I don't, I'm not stockpiling. I'm, I'm just shooting them. Sure. The answer is that when you go to buy Claritin D, which doesn't hurt anybody, right. you go in and you have to sign once and then you have to sign again, right? Right, and there's a limit on how much I can buy in a 30-day period. Yep. You can buy only 14 pills. That's the most you can buy at a time. So if you had the same system set up for when you buy bullets, which are the killer, not the gun, and you went in and you bought bullets, and you bought bullets and you kept buying bullets, yeah. And you kept signing and kept signing, kept signing. Yeah. Eventually, somebody would come and knock on your door. Mm. Now, I talked to a couple of my friends who are hunters, and they said that the average hunter has maybe two boxes of bullets, and he may not use yeah. he may not use them in five years right. because he spends most of his time going to the gun range before deer hunting and may not fire that gun at a deer. Mm. Most of them don't, but unless we we, I mean, I did not know that I could go into the store at, at say, uh, a regular gun shop and buy 5,000 rounds of bullets. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you, I thought there has got to be a limit, and it should be registered, because when he went to the hotel room, he filled up all these clips with right. what? No, with bullets. bullets. No, no. See, I understand. I get. See, I, I get. I understand what you're saying. I'm, 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 I guess I'm trying to get at the practical application of it, because... Um, 
just like the Clarendon D example that you're giving, um, for, for example, I, I have a my, my very best friend, um, you know, has allergies. And so, I mean, I know he he uses this stuff on a regular basis. And I think he uses his monthly allotment on, on a regular basis. And he has because he's got allergies. Um, Claritin D at least has an expiration date on it. I mean, from I'm, I'm, my question is a practical one. Let's say you put a limit. Let's say you say, all right, you're only going to get 500 rounds of ammunition. You can only buy that many in a given month or whatever. Well, the, the bullets don't necessarily go bad. I mean, so if that's not going to stop somebody from necessarily stockpiling things, let's say, all right, unless you really are going to limit somebody to being able to buy 25 or 50 bullets, and I don't think that's necessarily practical because I know there's people who are going to a gun range over this weekend and will fire more than 50 rounds. So whatever... And I'm, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to downplay this. I'm just saying I don't understand the practicality of it. Should there be more reporting of gun purchases? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's nine nineteen. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's nine twenty two. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, my note says that you are an avid shooter, so you're a guy who goes through a lot of ammunition in a month. Yeah, I go through a lot of ammunition. Each, I go twice a month to the range, and each time I go, I take uh, 400 rounds with me. I spend an hour. I've got three separate handguns. Uh, the ammunition I buy, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's top of the line. It's, it's kind of whatever I get on sale. They're factory reloads. They don't always all fire, you know, so I don't actually end up shooting a complete four, a set of 400 rounds of ammunition, you know. Right. In a month. So in a month, so I, I purchased 800 rounds. You look at it in a year, I'll, I'll, I'll purchase, what does that come out to? About nine. About, about ten, about, yeah, about 10,000 rounds a year, yeah. Okay, so now, yeah, yeah that's a lot. But wh- why why should we say, oh, now there should be a guy from Homeland Security knocking on my door. Hey, why are you, why are you buying all this ammunition? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for me, that's my hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's what I do for enjoyment. You know, I, I, uh, I worked in... Uh, Former law enforcement. I worked in jobs where I carried. I, I became a gun enthusiast. You know. So, well, so well, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you the flip side of that, though. But yeah. let's just, let's say we weren't we weren't talking about limiting your ability to buy the ammunition, but but yeah, th- there there was some way of tracking it. So you do get a questionnaire. So some you get a questionnaire or a letter from Homeland Security, or some guy comes out and says, "Hey, Tom, why are you buying all this ammunition?" And you say, "Hey, it's my hobby. I'm retired law enforcement. I, I go shoot." And and that's the end. If that's the end of it, does do you have a would you have a problem saying, hey, this is what because you're doing it using it in a legitimate fashion? Would you have a problem just simply saying that? You know, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I, don't, I, I what I really have a problem with is people say, oh, we need to restrict how right. much you can buy at a time. Right. You know, that's no. that's what I really have a big problem with. And then they say that you need to be put on a registry to buy ammunition. No, I don't right. think so. Right. Now, if you get a guy who's buying, uh, what did this guy buy? How many? How many firearms? Thirty-three. And, Thirty-three in a year. And and there's there's people who are enthusiasts for right. sure, but I mean, when you're talking to a guy who's who's buying, you know, uh, uh, the uh, Armalite rifle and and that, and uh, and and you now have a cache of them. You know, oh yeah, you may want to take a look at that, opposed to a guy who's buying. Antique weapons. Right, right. No, no. Thanks, see, and I think actually, Tom, I I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and I understand some people's heads are going to explode right now when I say what I'm about to say. I, I do. I favor limiting 
the amount, for example, of ammunition that somebody could buy? My answer would be no for exactly the situation you're, you're talking about. I know there's a lot of uh, shooting enthusiasts who go to the ranges. That's what they do for fun, and, and to arbitrarily limit them makes no sense to me. I, I also I understand that there's collectors out there. I understand that there's there's people who – um, you go out and buy the multiple firearms, and because it only takes one gun to kill, I, I, I don't know that saying, okay, somebody just bought 33 guns, and, and by the way, like I say, all the guns this guy bought weren't AR-15s or anything like that. The last gun he bought was a bolt-action um, was a bolt action rifle. So, I mean, I, I, I am uncomfortable, while I don't understand why somebody would, would buy 33 guns in the space of a year. All right, um, I, I'm not saying that you should necessarily have that restricted. But, I mean, I think at some point in time, when you start getting into either large quantities of ammunition or you start purchasing multiple rifles, we already have to report multiple handguns. So if you're going in and reporting purchasing multiple rifles, I don't know that I think it's necessarily unreasonable that the gun dealer has to fill out the form saying, okay, this is – this guy just came in and bought three in the last week. Now, I understand there's all sorts of ways around it, but you're not restricting somebody's ability to own the guns. It's just, hey, you know, th- this is this information that's out there, and maybe somewhere along the line it will set off a red flag. Why did, you know, Jeff Wagner in Pahrumpf, Nevada, you know, why has he suddenly started, you know, buying all sorts of AR-15 rifles? Um, and maybe that's worth a call to the local police department to go out and at least make an inquiry uh, about that. And if I've decided, hey, I've suddenly got into gun collecting and this is why I'm buying these things or I'm really into this stuff, okay, that that's fine. I'm not saying make it illegal, but at least maybe you get an indicator. Maybe it's a way of telling in advance that somebody is all of a sudden going to act up. It's not a guarantee. All right, we continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 929, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's see, let's talk to, uh, before we go to the news, Dave in Germantown. Dave, good morning, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, what about, I mean, should somebody be able to go in and, without anybody tracking it, buy 33 guns in the space of a year? It doesn't really matter, I don't think, Jeff, about the guns or the ammo. What I think there is is a big disconnect from the second amendment when you know when they did the second amendment i'm pretty sure everybody was using single shot muskets muzzle loaders yeah for something like that sure yeah it took them three minutes to load one one gun again now so it doesn't matter about the guns it doesn't matter about the ammo but what it does matter about is the shooter that was in las vegas 2200 rounds in four minutes the Second Amendment didn't even know this was ever even on the table, ever. They were never, they never talked about this kind of uh, guns at all. I mean, I'm an avid hunter, but when somebody shoots off 2,200 rounds in under four minutes, right. that's a big disconnect on the Second Amendment, isn't it? it no, well, well, no, and, and, and I think that that's a fair point. So what's, what, what, is, what is the answer in, in your mind? Is there an answer? There is an answer. The AR-15s should just be illegal. I mean, there's no question. There's nobody 
in this world that needs to shoot off that many rounds of deer hunting. You know, I mean, even if you're a bad shot, you know, it's like, really, 2,200 rounds? Right. You know, stuff should be limited. The rounds should be limited and how many shots you can take, or, and you shouldn't be able to make them. No way should you be able to make them automatic weapons like this guy did. Okay, thanks for the call. Now, again, again, the AR-15, might, and we still don't know for sure, I, I don't believe... I mean, the AR-15 he had, and he had up there, everything I'm seeing says it was a semi-automatic weapon. Now, he had this thing that I didn't even know existed called a, a bump stock, which effectively makes the legal weapon fire as if it was a machine gun. All right, we're going to do this for one more segment, and then we're going to move on. 414-799-1620. Should there be some sort of registration? Should there be limits on the number of firearms that people buy? It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the way the law works now is if you buy multiple handguns from the same gun dealer, two or more at once or two or more over a five-day period, they have to fill out a form and they have to report it to ATF. The reason for this is ATF, I think, uses this information not to go after collectors, but they're looking for people who might be involved in gun trafficking. If all of a sudden you go in and you buy 50 Raven P25, Saturday night specials or whatever, all right, that might set off an alarm. Why do people, you know, why why would anybody buy 50 Raven P25 Saturday night specials handguns at one given time? Now, there might be a legitimate purpose for it, but at least it would be something that might bring up a red flag, so there might be an investigation. As a general rule, there's no such requirement when it comes to rifles, including semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15. The Las Vegas shooter bought 33 firearms in the course of the last year and apparently never triggered any sort of reporting kind of requirement. I would not limit his ability to buy guns. I I, I wouldn't because I think there's all sorts of reasons why people, collectors, etc., I don't, though, think that this requirement that gun dealers report multiple purchases of handguns, I don't think that that's really limited anybody's Second Amendment rights to acquire handguns. I would apply nationwide that same requirement to rifles, certainly to semi-automatic rifles. 414-799-1620. And I know this is controversial, too, but I agree with Ron Johnson. I didn't even know these things called bump stocks existed. But if it's illegal to own a machine gun, it should also, at least in my opinion, be illegal to easily purchase something which makes an otherwise legal firearm fire like a machine gun. So I would be in support of, of efforts to regulate that as well. To me, that's kind of a reasonable accommodation. Am I willing to say that, gee, I think people shouldn't be allowed to own multiple firearms? No. Am I willing to say that I think that people shouldn't be able to um, you know, buy bullets in any sort of quantity? No, but I do think you can have reasonable regulation, at least with some reporting, so law enforcement might at least be told, hey, there's this guy that's all of a sudden started buying all these these AR-15s, for example, might be completely legitimate. And, and like I say, there's already a requirement when it comes to handguns. Would it be that much of an imposition on the Second Amendment if you extended it nationwide to apply to um Long rifles. Let's talk to Jason in Cedarburg. Jason, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I guess my under my question would be: in the day and age of all this technology, the disposal with the FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security, why they wouldn't make a computer program with all the paperwork that needs to be filled out with any handgun purchase, 
any long rifle purchase. All of this is entered in some database where the serial number is tracked to that individual, obviously to stop future crimes, any crimes. This handgun was used in a murder three years ago, whatever it might be. What they put filters in, and if I have 40, 40 guns and I've purchased them over the last year, two years, and they want to put me on a watch list, I, as a gun owner, I don't have a problem with that. Right. Not even a watch list, just that there's some red flag that goes off and says, hey, there's a guy named Jason in Cedarburg. He, he just, this is, you know, he's just bought, he's just purchased another gun. This is 25 for the year and maybe send a notice to the local police department saying, hey, do you know anything about this guy? Just, just to make sure that you are that avid hunter or you are the collector as opposed to somebody trying to amass a bunch of guns to commit an act of mass destruction. And let's be honest, most purchases are done with credit cards nowadays. There's ways to track credit card purchases. Mm-hmm. If the guy goes in and pays cash, maybe now you have to fill out a form. If you're purchasing, you know, uh, 10,000 rounds with cash, again, I don't think any of us gun owners, I, at least I don't have a problem. I grew up in a hunting family. A number of my friends, they all own guns. We have some friends that we kind of get in this debate as well. I don't think any of us gun owners want our guns gone, obviously, right. but I don't think any of us have a problem that we are on a watch list because if I'm on a watch list, I know Joe Blow three miles away. He's also on a watch list. That's going to keep my kids safe at a soccer game. So if this crazy wants to go nuts, at least the law enforcement has an eye on him. Can it be stopped? Who knows? There's so much evil in this world. You know, you just don't know. But I think with all the disposal and the money at Homeland Security, CIA, FBI, what are they doing? I mean, obviously they're protecting us, but, you know, we need obviously more. Put us on a watch list. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem. And that guy that has a problem, again, with all this wiretapping and everything, I don't care if they want to listen to my conversations. <laughs> go ahead, listen. I have nothing to hide. Yeah, no, and, I, I'm, and again, I'm not going to go that far. I mean, thanks. For, I'm not going to go that far. But I, I do think, again, I, and this is what I want people to think about. And I, I'm, the, the average firearms owner you know, isn't going out and, and buying 33 guns in the space of a year. That That's just not what, the, you know, may, okay, may, unless unless you're a hardcore collector or something like that, you know, most people keep their guns. And, again, I, I understand that there might be some reason, and I'm not even arguing that he shouldn't have been able to buy the 33, but I do think it should have set up a red flag somewhere. And I'm not suggesting that everybody who's purchased 33 firearms over the last year is going to go turn out to be a mass killer. But... And it's one of these other things that just allows, you know, people to, to check. It's kind of like we have what's called currency transaction reporting. If you conduct a currency transaction, more than $10,000 in cash at a car dealership or at a bank or whatever, that they have to file one of these reports saying you did it. It's not saying that, gee, if you go in and you pay $45,000 for a car in cash that you're a, that you're a drug dealer, but it, at the same time it does send up this red flag. So maybe somebody can say, "Gee, this is this 19-year-old kid from the North Shore. Um, you know, where did this $45,000 in cash come from?" Again, it's just an investigative tool that ends up being out there. Richard in Michigan. Richard, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Jeff. Enjoy the show. Thank I you. Over here every once in a while. Thank um, you, sir. My, my point is. Um, I have purchased a couple uh, long rifles over the past couple years, and they have been at um, major um, box stores, so to speak. But I have had to fill out pretty um, intense paperwork and give them my license. Right. And then they run that through some system. Right. They do a background. They do a background check on you, yes. 
Okay, and I just wondered, because the serial numbers to the gun and all that are on there, and I, I guess I always assumed that that was some type of basis of um, recording that. Um, and then one other point was I did I purchased some uh, ammunition from another box store the other day, and now maybe he just took my ID to check it, but it sure looked like he was typing in numbers off my ID, and I, I wondered about that. And then to kind of answer your question quickly about this situation, I I really wish there was an answer, and I think I I, I understand your points about all these things. I just don't think anything's going to change the mind of a madman, and right. it's really frustrating because I I don't want my rights restricted. I would never do something like this, but I get everybody's outcry for this. It's it's horrible, and I I don't know what the answer is either. No, and it's a fr- I mean, thanks for yeah. calling, Rich, and it, it is the frustration because uh, again, you 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 just said it the, the the mind of a madman. I mean, we I mean, look look at the look at the people who've you know taken the trucks. Remember that thing in Nice? Guy takes a truck. And goes and just drives up a sidewalk during a busy festival with the idea of trying to kill as many people as possible using the truck. Well, you can't restrict the trucks. You're never, unfortunately, and I know this is something that frustrates a lot of people. Believe me, it frustrates it frustrates me as well. I, I we're not going to we're not going to confiscate firearms in this country. That that's just so you got to. I think a lot of the people they're, they're gun banners, and what they want to do is they want to take away people's take away people's guns. That's just as a practical matter. It's not going to happen. I don't even understand how you do it. You're going to have the cops go door to door and say, okay, anybody who's got a semi-automatic rifle, we want you to surrender it. We're going to seize it. That, that's just, that is not going to happen. At the same time, I think those of us who support the Second Amendment and recognize that the overwhelming majority, almost everybody who legally obtains a firearm intends to use it for a legal purpose, uh, a legal purpose, I think we also have to recognize that all right, there's got to be a, a balancing between our rights in a free society and the right to be safe, or at least for law enforcement to maybe have a head start on somebody who might be that that madman. That's why I think you have to look at reasonable things. I I didn't even know, like I said, I didn't know these bump stocks existed. Never even heard of this until this. I don't, I don't have a problem with regulating this again because if machine guns are illegal. Something that easily, for $40, turns a, a semi-automatic rifle into a machine gun, well, I, I think that should be regulated in some fashion. And similarly, while I would not limit the ability of people to purchase firearms, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, that there's got to be forms that be filled out. So if you are buying multiple guns, at least from the same dealer, that there some red flag maybe somewhere goes off. And I, I don't – I think – that's where people have to kind of come together. Would that have stopped the Las Vegas shooting? No, it, it probably it probably wouldn't have. Would it have perhaps sent off a red flag that maybe there'd be some investigation? You know, maybe who who knows? But I, I think that I think we all have to be willing to be open minded on this and not absolutists. Not absolutists when it comes to gun banners or limiting hunters' rights, and not absolutists when it comes to say, well, you know, anything that that implicates my rights. I, we had a very nice guy called in yesterday, regular listener I know, who has one of these bump stock things, and and he said, I said, well, and he goes off. He says, yeah, I, I like to do it. I go to a range and I fire my semi-automatic rifle, and it, and I said, well, why why do you do it? He said, well, it's fun. Well, I, I get that it. I get that it might be fun, and I, all I'm saying is, if we're going to, if we're going to allow this, 
you know, maybe there's some sort of regulation that should be involved with this because it might be fun to drive 120 miles an hour, but we don't let people do it. All right, coming up, Foxconn continues to create a controversy in Mount Pleasant. It's big story number three. Stick around. It's 947. Mayor Tom Barrett's budget is set to eliminate over 30 police positions due to a shortage in funding. Jeff Wagner takes a look if there are other areas that could be cut instead. That's in his show podcast on the WTMJ mobile app. Hey, we have been through a beautiful stretch of weather, but all good things are going to come to an end. The fall season and the holidays, they're going to be here before you know it. For me, the holidays mean family and friends, decorations, holiday parties. I've got a new life, and it's going to be like a new holiday season with new people. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know that's exciting time for you. You've got the special memories of Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. And the backdrop for all those events is your house. And inside your house... Well, it's your walls. Well, one of the best ways to make your holidays memorable is to spruce up your house. And you can ask my friends at Serta Pro Painters to help you out on that. This year, make the holidays even more special. Turn the inside of your house from drab to spectacular. Call the good folks at Serta Pro Painters. They will come out. They will arrive on time. They will maintain a clean work environment. They'll clean up when they're done. They'll respect your family. They'll respect your pets. And now is the best time to transform your home for the upcoming fall and holiday seasons. Don't wait, though. Call now. It's 800-GO-CERTA. That's CERTA with a C. 800-G-O-C-E-R-T-A. Or visit CERTAPRO.com. At CERTA Pro Painters, they say, we do painting, you do life. Each CERTA Pro Painters business is independently owned and operated. It's 951, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One local lawmaker is proposing red light cameras in Milwaukee. We talked about that yesterday. Will it help make roads safer while also raising revenue? Is that a win-win for the city? Alderman Tony Zielinski makes his case when joining Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 420. Okay, um, actually, right before we move on, um, one, one final thought. It was interesting. I, I we, we get a ton of texts on our text line, and one, one of the ones was intriguing. Why hasn't the news media reported whether this guy was a Democrat or Republican? One caller stated the country fans are mostly Republican. Well, actually, that comes from the now-fired lawyer executive at CBS who said, well, I have no sympathy for the people who got shot because country music fans are mostly Republican. I, I don't I, – first of all, I, I, don't, I don't know what the guy's political affiliation was. Um, he just seems to me a wacko, and, and I think often – we, we always try to politicize stuff, and in this particular case, I, I don't I don't get any sense at all that these people were targeted because they were country fans and they were Republican. They were mostly Republicans. I who knows? These are people in Vegas that were going to to see a, a show. Um, you have the report today that the guy had rented a room at a hotel over Grant Park in Chicago for the Lollapalooza Festival. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that you can make any assumptions about the, you know, the motivations there. I just think he was a nutcase. And I guess what is scary is the fact that you don't know how many more of these nutcases are out there, and you don't know how you're going to stop them. And I understand that is a frustrating thing, and I understand there's a lot of people who are just wringing their hands and going, well, you know, that this is unacceptable. And I, I don't deny that it's not acceptable, but the problem is, what, as a practical matter, what do you really end up doing about this? And that's why I, I think from the perspective of people who appreciate the Second Amendment, conservatives, we have to be open-minded when it comes to I don't know, reasonable reporting restrictions on purchases of guns and things like that. And from the left, for all those people who really are, are firearms banners, you, you need to get over that because that's not going to happen. All right, big story number three, Foxconn announces that it is locating its plant 
in Mount Pleasant. There was an interesting story in the uh, Madison paper. Um, they, they, they went out and they, they interviewed a handful of people who live in Mount Pleasant who are uh, not necessarily happy about Foxconn coming. Now, the reality is Foxconn is paying a premium for land. I mean, the reports are that even before this announcement, they were paying over $50,000 an acre for land that probably objectively is worth maybe 20% of that um, as farmland. Now, inevitably, what's going to happen is there are some people who have built their dream home on this particular, in this locations, and, and they're going to be relocated. But at the same time, and I, I understand why they might not necessarily be happy about this, but at the same time, it seems to me you can't stand in the way of progress. And in the case of a situation like Foxconn, the reality is that the people who are, in fact, going to you know be displaced – the reality is they are going to be extremely, extremely well paid for their their inconvenience. And for everybody that I hear go on television or go on the radio and say, oh, this is just so terrible. I mean, I, I, this, this was my dream home. Well, okay, you can, you, you can always build another dream home. And you can especially build another dream home if you're in a situation where, all of a sudden, the value of your dream home has increased exponentially because of, again, Foxconn. So uh, in a perfect world, I guess you wouldn't have people who were, I don't know, being given large chunks of money to have to move necessarily against their will. But at the same time, if you want to be sympathetic to folks, I don't know that it's people who are, again, going to ultimately be forced to move from one home to another, but who are going to be extremely well compensated for it. I think this whole Foxconn thing is going to be absolutely outstanding, not just for Racine and Kenosha, but I think it's going to be outstanding for the region and the state. And I think we're going to look back, and maybe I'm wrong, I mean, mark the tape, but I think we're going to look back three, four, five, 10, 15 years um, from now, and we're going to say, man, look at what Foxconn ended up doing. It's 9.56. When we come back, the Freedom From Religion Foundation out of Madison, they are back in the news. Is an electric car in your future? And is Cam Newton really a sexist pig? Stick around. It's 9.56. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, coming up in less than 10 minutes, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, their back is an electric car in your future. And what the heck is up with Cam Newton? Stick around. It's 9.59. It's 10.08. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, Jane, we got to share in this fact that, um, you know, we... I, it, it's, I've been here for this, this. We're just getting ready to start the 20th season of the show, and um, I, I really haven't had that many people who produced the show. There's only really been a handful over the years, and and we have a new producer who, who's starting, and we're we're very excited to to welcome our, our, our new producer and. You know, I, I've been also the interesting thing is our, our new producers always have sort of interesting names and people all we've we've had, you know, we've had Crowbar, we've had Hondo, we've had the old family right, Crowbar name. Right, yes. right, well, exactly, you know, and, and people, what, what, what exactly is, is Crowbar? Then they, they'd see him, they go, oh, that, that's, that's Crowbar. And we, you know, 
We've had Hondo, and we've had Spike, and we've got Elvis, and we've had BD, and we, we've just had, you know, Young Dan. I mean, it, it's interesting. Dan Walsh, who became Young Dan, this was, he started with me going on 20 years ago. He's still known as Young Dan. Is you know it really? I mean? Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I will, he, so your nickname stick. Oh, no, they, they stick. No, Crowbar <laughs> is always going to be Crowbar. No, trust me, that that's it. And Hondo is always Hondo. But it, it was sort of interesting because at, at Insight this year, and, and this is an honest-to-goodness true story, the biggest applause line went to the governor when the governor came out the second biggest applause it was to hondo, hondo? You know, okay this is hondo up here and everybody's just going it's what hondo looks like oh okay exactly so um uh, we, we want to welcome our, our new producer who hopefully will be here for a while so when you call up be kind to Gru. Gru is with us here so you know it's i think it fits you think it fits yeah i like i like Gru. okay well mm-hmm. i mean I, I seem to like Gru as well so that's um that's it it's 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 group so and and you you actually you actually had a role in that actually so you know it's it's you know that that's kind of a shared one so it's it's Gru so we want to welcome Gru to the to the program so it's yeah that's Hopefully it. Hopefully many happy years. Many many happy years. Absolutely. Um, that's it. So welcome, Gru. All right, let's get serious now. Um, there may be an electric car in your future. You know, this was a big announcement earlier this week that got dwarfed by the horrible story out, out of Las Vegas. Um, and, and obviously, there's been all sorts of other things going on in the world that have kind of gotten pushed into the back burner. But this is a very interesting story that, to me, might kind of decide how, how we live moving forward. Um, GM and Ford both have come out and have said that they are jumping in with both feet to the electric car market. Um, now, this is, it's not so much based on consumer demand, it, it's based on regulations. And the, the fact that, for example, China is saying that it's uh, eventually going to ban gasoline-powered cars. California might be moving in that same direction. So as a result, anticipating what is happening, the big U.S. automakers, Ford and GM, um, you know, they're saying, hey, look, we are we are changing, we're going to change our business model. On Monday, General Motors announced that it has plans for 20 new all-electric models by 2023, including two in the next 18 months. Um, Ford apparently is you know, talking about doing the same thing. They're saying that they're going to add 13 electrified models over the next couple years, they're going to be putting $4.5 billion into an electric car. GM says, hey, we believe the future is all electric cars, and we don't think it's going to necessarily happen overnight, but we think this is where people are going. Now, they are swimming upstream, because here's the numbers. Through the first eight months of this year, 2017, and keep in mind, there are federal tax incentives out the wazoo to encourage people to buy electric cars. But even with all the federal tax incentives, um, we are not buying electric cars. Americans purchased only about 60,000 battery-powered electric vehicles and about the same number of plug-in hybrid models. Um, That's about 1% of the market. So they're there. There's tax incentives, but people aren't buying them. Um, You know, Tesla... 
Um, Tesla has has been at least making some inroads to this. They've got their you know their Model Three sedan that's getting um, at least potential buyers that are putting down deposits. But at the same time, I mean, Ford and GM are saying, okay, we're we're getting into electric cars in a big way. And again, I think much of this comes less from a desire to necessarily meet consumer demand and more a, a fear of regulation. Now, of course, this is also really difficult because keep in mind, you know, GM and Ford make the vast majority of their money on, on sport utility vehicles and on large pickup trucks. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. This is a situation where I, I guess... If if car companies no longer make gasoline-powered models, well, I mean, then obviously we're go- all going to have to switch. But this idea that people are going to go to electric cars voluntarily um, over the next few years, I, I just don't think it's going to happen because it hasn't happened thus far. And General Motors can come out with five or six or ten models or whatever over the course of the next five or six years. But as long as gasoline remains relatively or extremely cheap, I just don't see people changing their buying habits dramatically. 414-799-1620. All right, is this going to be the wave of the future? Now, obviously, at some point in time, uh, governments are going to ban the production of the internal combustion engine, and maybe people will have no choice. I don't think that's going to be in my lifetime, though. And this idea that, okay, GM and Ford are going to put more models out on the market, well, I just think that's going to be more models that people don't want to buy. As long as gas prices are cheap, I think we're going to be reluctant to change our habits. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. Back with them in just a moment. It's 1015. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, now Ford and GM say they're getting into electric cars in a big way. Now, Ford already sells a a whole bunch of hybrid and battery-powered and plug-in models, except nobody buys them. People don't want them. Now, one of the things that they are saying is that they're they're hoping in the the new models that they're going to be able to come out with over the next few years, they're going to be able to get up to 300 miles before they need to recharge, because that is obviously a huge issue. I mean, our text line has exploded. I'd go electric if not for the price and the lack of range. A lot of people are, are saying that for us, electric cars don't travel far enough on a charge. It isn't just about gas prices. That's what Beth is saying. Um, so 300 miles would be better. But then again, the same question then becomes, how, how long do you have to wait to recharge the car? I mean, it's so, I mean, now, let's say you get 300 or 350 miles on a tank of gas. Well, fine, you run out of gas, you pull in the gas station, you fill up, and and you're good to go again. I mean, do you have to let the car charge overnight? How fast does it recharge? There are all these factors. Again, I just don't think America is, in a big way, uh, we're not going to adopt, we're not going to adopt the, the hybrids, we're not going to adopt electric cars until the economics of it makes sense. And I don't think that's going to happen for a long time. If you want to buy a Tesla, that's great. I have a friend who drives a Tesla, swears by it. I, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's tremendous. But it's not, they're not selling even with huge tax incentives now. At some point in time, are, are they going to, is that going to change? Um, let's start with Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're first. Good morning. Thank you, Jeff. Hi, Sam. Well, the other day I read that article, and GM said 200 miles. So these cars are not practical. Right. 
But the real, you know, you have to look at these batteries, too. Anybody who knows anything about a rechargeable battery understands that in extreme heat or extreme cold, they just do not work very well, and they don't last as long. And as the battery starts to age, it suddenly becomes junk. So your 200-mile range will be cut down to 150 or 125, and then what do you got to do? Spend $5,000 for a new battery pack in these cars? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's just issues. And then the infrastructure in the country, if you live in an apartment building, if you live in the city, we are you going to have extension cords running all over the streets and the sidewalks for these things? It'll be another Tom Barrett trolley folly. You're gonna, it's, it's, right. it's just the infrastructure isn't there for the automobile, that car. It's, right, and, and I guess, and, and it's, I don't disagree with you, Sam, and my point is that the cost of setting this all up, again, given the fact that right now, Oil is plentiful, and gasoline is plentiful, and it's cheap because we've developed, you know, fracking and things like that. That the the fact that that's cheap, it it just right now there is no incentive for people for the country, I think, to build the infrastructure you're talking about, or for people to you know shell out seventy, eighty thousand dollars for well, an electric yeah. car, unless you really want that. Well, and the other thing is too is, is the, uh, the, these battery chargers. I, I looked up online and. Some of these chargers need to be hooked up to a 30-amp circuit. You can run an air conditioner in your house on a 30-amp circuit. So this is going to be a year-round endeavor. That means that all the utilities now, we're going to have to get back into this discussion that the environmentalists are trying to get away from is what is it going to be, oil? Is it going to be coal? Is it going to be nuclear? You're going to have millions of these things on right. chargers, 365. Where's that power going to come from? Well, well, exactly, right, because you've already got a power grid that is in many respects, you know, and especially in certain areas of the country, country very, very stretched. I and mean, that's the point John makes that you just made, Sam, on a text. He says, if we have 10% switch to electric cars, we'll not be able to turn on our lights we do not have the infrastructure. Here's another one of a text. I buy trucks. I can't believe that they can make a useful truck that can tow my boat. And, of course, that's part of the issue as well. If you look at where where Americans are. Now, okay, maybe it's different if you live in Nice, France, or in London, England, and, you know, you've got the narrow roads in Europe, and you've got the little teeny tiny cars. But we in America... What, what are the cars, what are the vehicles that we buy? People buy trucks, people buy SUVs. I mean, I remember I was looking, um, last year I was looking at buying a sedan, and I, I was driving the sedan, and I, I said to the dealer, I said, I, I mean, is this the best seller? He said, no, not even close. He said, it's the SUVs. That's all people want are SUVs. And I understand that changed a, a few years ago when you had gas prices that were, you know, pushing four bucks a gallon. People were start looking looking at some of these economy models and all. But as soon as the gas prices went back down to where I think they are going to be from a supply and demand perspective, um, people, they, they, we, we want our trucks. We want our SUVs. And, I mean, are you really going to be able to develop, again, that technology that lets you pull your boat you know, with the battery power. Let's talk to Wyatt in South Milwaukee. Wyatt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I agree with the other caller. I mean, the cars are too expensive. We can't afford, a, a normal middle-class person can't afford a car like that, even with the tax, tax incentives. What if the, I mean, I, I guess the ideal, the, the thinking would be, gee, we're going to start mass producing these things, we're going to sell a whole bunch of them, and so the price is, is going to come down. If the price comes down, I would love to have one. I mean, I drive 60 miles a day back and forth to work. If it's cost-effective for me, I would love to have one. But until the prices come down, I can't. 
Right, right, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, th- thanks. I mean, I just don't think. Look, who knows where the technology could develop over over the years? But right now, the technology I just don't think is there. Whether it's two hundred or three hundred miles per charge, well, all right, for for a lot of people, all right, that that's just simply not enough of a charge. How long does it take to recharge the thing? So that means, okay, after I've driven two hundred miles in the car, then I have to let it sit overnight. I mean, it's it's all those different types of issues. So, like I say, I, I mean, I think right right now it's kind of a novelty, and I understand that there's some people who want those, and I think that that's great that it's there. But if we've got these huge tax incentives. Um, that actually where the government underwrites a decent portion of the car cost and they're not selling now, what does that tell you? Let's talk to Sue and Racine. Sue, good morning. Sue? Hi, Sue. Uh, Hi, how are you? I'm listening to the electric car thing, and I think this is a big boondoggle. I think it's a pipe dream of the electricity companies as more and more people and companies are putting up solar panels so they can't, the greed, they can't see increasing the rates or just getting more and more money and keeping the rates sort of affordable, number one. Number two, I don't think our education system lets people know where the electricity comes from. Right. I guess they think you plug it in the wall and the socket produces it. Huh. Number two, if they've ever seen a huge uh, uh, towers for that they use to burn oil to create electricity, and they used the cheapest, dirtiest oil. There was a program a couple of years ago about the heavy-duty diesel-type oil they burned to produce electricity. We're, we're fooling ourselves about this air pollution stuff. That will be more polluting than anything nowadays on the road. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. It's, it's where is, right, I mean, I think there's some people, and you make a really interesting point, Sue, that there's some people who... I mean, again, think electricity comes from that wall. You flick on the switch, the lights come on, the television set comes on, your computer all powers up, oh, that's in the wall. Well, well, it's not. And and as we have gotten more and more dependent on electric devices, um, I mean, just look around if you're... If, and don't do this if you're driving, but if you're at home or you're listening to me in your office, just look around and, and look at all the things that are on your desk that necessarily weren't there years ago. Okay, you know, 15 years ago, did everybody have the desktop computers or 20 years ago? Probably not. Now you've got all the different electronic bells and whistles. That's already being powered. Imagine if all of a sudden, instead of these electric cars having what now it is about 1% of the market, imagine if they had 100% of the market, where is that electricity going to come from? Like, I think it's great for GM and Ford to want to talk about this. Um, I don't, I firmly believe, I don't think we're going to be in an all-electric car world in my lifetime, and I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, is Cam Newton an idiot? Is he a sexist pig? Or is this just much ado about nothing? Stick around, it's 1026. It's 1038, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How do Packers legends feel about protests during the National Anthem? Wayne Larrabee got the thoughts of two former green and gold greats. Hear their comments in Wayne's latest episode of the Play-By-Play podcast presented by your local Chevy dealer up now on WTMJ Mobile. Hey, while you're there, check out the, the other podcasts that we have. And I know a lot of people download the regular pod, listen regularly to the podcast of this show, and I very much appreciate it. All the TMJ regular programming is podcast now. Plus, you hear some podcasts from some voices that you don't always hear on the radio. 
So be sure to check that out. You know, I'd, I'd open up the phone lines on this latest death, this senseless death in Milwaukee on the roadways, but I, I don't know what there is to say about it. It's just, it is the same thing over and over and over again on a daily basis. Now, this is twice this week where people have been killed in hit-and-run accidents by people, by a person blowing a red light and then trying to flee the scene. They caught the one guy at the hospital, and he will be charged. I'm sure they will catch whoever was involved in this particular situation. Was the guy driving a stolen car? I don't know. All I know is that somebody's dead, and I know this happens on a regular basis. Now, it doesn't always lead to fatalities, but at some point in time, how how many people are going to have to die and how many people are going to be injured before we got to recognize that what we're doing is not working, whether it's prosecuting people who are driving recklessly and blowing red lights and, and saying this is a big deal and it's a public safety matter. And if you're going to do this, you're, you know, you're going to be held accountable. And if you hit people and you run away, you're going to prison and you're going to prison for lengthy periods of time. I don't know what the answer is, but it is getting to the point now where you, you almost get the sense that you take your life into your own hands if you're driving. And again, I'll, I, I'm sure this is going to be a tragic story. My guess is this 48-year-old woman and again i don't know who she was in the car with but my guess is they're going to work it's eight o'clock on a thursday morning you know you're not expecting that somebody's going to blow through a red light on 76th and appleton an intersection that lots of us have driven through and you end up dead and then of course the low life creep behind the wheel of the car flees thinking he's going to get away all right all right let's switch gears cam newton grew who's producing the show today and always you know who cam newton is right All right, Cam Newton, the former All-Pro quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, Um, really an outstanding player, had a bad year last year. I think, interestingly enough, Newton is one of these quarterbacks. He's an incredible physical specimen, but he was also one of these kind of running, throwing quarterbacks, took a lot of really hard hits um, over the course of his career. And I think quarterbacks that play like that tend to have, no matter what incredible athletes they are, they tend to have a shorter shelf life uh, than the quarterbacks, a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who certainly scrambles and stuff. But if if you watch Rodgers, he's smart. He tries to avoid you know, taking the, the big hits. Lots of these guys who are great athletes, um, it, I don't think you'll last anywhere near as long in the NFL if you're, again, you've got to play with aggressiveness. But if you're going to be getting hit and, and mauled play after play by 250-pound linebackers, eh, you've got an issue there. All right, so anyhow. Um, Carolina Panthers not off to the greatest start. Um, he's in the news, and he's of course their star quarterback. He's he's having a press conference, and you know that they, they make them available to the media, and the media comes out. And this, this is, I mean, Aaron Rodgers does press conferences. You know, they have people that that come out and and ask the questions. So you've got one of these press conferences that's going on, and you have um, there, there's a local reporter for the local newspaper there, the Charlotte Observer. And it's a woman. Um, her, her first name is Jordan. Her last name is Rodriguez. I think is how you pronounce it. And But she covers the team. You know, and it's like the, the Journal Sentinel has, I'm not sure if they still do, but in the past they, they've had female reporters who, who cover, you know, who, who cover sports. And, and female reporters 
that this is not something unique in 2017. Now, I can remember when I was growing up, there were issues about female reporters and access to the locker room and things like that. But that's 1965. That's not 2017. So anyhow, um, one of the football writers for the Charlotte Observer is, is this woman. And she, you know, stands up and, you know, she, she asks, asks him a question about, you know, something about um, route running, you know, and her, her question is kind of like, um, you know, I'm just I'm I'm curious about, you know, the, the way this guy is running routes, you know, and of course the route is the that means, you know, what the receiver runs. And they, they ask him a question about route running. And if you watch the press conference of this, the, the, the video of it, you know, Newton kind of gets this sort of little smile on his face and he kind of chuckles and he says, um, it, it's funny to hear a female talk about routes. It, it's just funny. And then, then he goes on to answer the question. But, but this is, it's just funny to hear a female talk about routes. It, it's just funny. Then he answers the, the question. Um, she then, you know, posts something. She says, I don't think it's funny to be a female and talk about routes. I, I think it's my job. And then, so she posts this. Then she starts getting all sorts of criticism, saying, well, why, if you had an issue with him, you know, why didn't you ask him about this? And she says, well, actually, after the press conference, I did. I spoke with him, and it was worse. I chose not to share because I have an actual job to do and one he will not keep me from. So she says, I did go up to him afterwards, and I, I asked him about, you know, calling me out for this. And um, he, you know, he... he kind of said something that was even worse. Don't know exactly what that is. So now, I mean, this has become th- this huge cause celeb. Um, Newton calling her out essentially because she's a female. I, I think it's funny to hear a female, you know, talk about route running. It's it's female. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This has become now a, a huge story. Uh, the NFL... It is all about it in its apology mode. You know, we want to create an environment where it doesn't matter if you're male or female. We want you covering this. Uh, the local newspaper, um, very unhappy with Cam Newton. The Carolina Panthers, they're out with a statement saying, well, you know, we, we certainly don't encourage sexist behavior. Here was what I would like to discuss. Um, a lot of people are outraged by this. Is this a, an overreaction? Is Cam Newton an idiot? Is he a, a sexist pig, or is this much ado about nothing? Is this this female, his term, is it the female's problem? I mean, should she have, was she, was it legitimate for her to be put off, taken aback when he said, gee, it's, it's kind of funny for me that a female would ask those questions. I mean, is this her problem more than it's his problem? I have a very strong theory on this, but I'm curious as to what you think. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, Cam Newton, is this is, is the guy a sexist pig, or is this just an overreaction? Did the female reporter, his term, did the female reporter, his term, overreact? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1046. This is Jeff Wagner. 1050, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line has exploded. And interestingly, a variety of opinions. Um, Randy says, sounds like the woman's head is a little big. 
she needs to get over herself. Okay, another text here. Much to do about nothing. This is exactly why Marshawn Lynch refuses to talk to reporters. Everything is blown out of proportion and every word is analyzed. Kyle, uh, let's see. Much to do about nothing. Kyle says, I repeated, I interpreted funny as meaning different or strange. Couldn't it simply mean he wasn't used to hearing a female talk about those things? Well, it could be. It wasn't the most tactful way to say it. I totally agree there. Um, Jeff in Fox Point says, I thought he's an idiot for a long while. I do think this latest instance is enough to extend it to sexist idiots. Um, let's see. I think Cam is just dumb. My own wife would admit she doesn't know route running, but of course he's saying this to the woman who's been covering the team for the last year as a sports writer, but to not be able to bite your tongue in a press conference is a bit ridiculous. Tom and West Ben writes, I think it's an overreaction. Sure, he have said, wow. Should he have said, Wow, it's cool that a girl is asking these cool football questions. I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe maybe the idea is that he's um maybe the idea is that he shouldn't have necessarily seen this in in the light of whether she was male or female. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. I, I think what he said was inappropriate, and it's only a statement, but I think it speaks to the character and his regards for women. And if the shoe were on the foot, other foot, is she to come back and say, well, I, I think it's funny that I'm asking this question uh, of an African-American quarterback. You, you think Cam would be a little outraged? I think he would be outraged, yes. Cause yeah, remember, so remember, because uh, that was the big thing for years and years in the NFL. It was, could African-Americans be quarterbacks, right? Remember, it was always white people had to be quarterbacks, and then right. we recognized how stupid that was to think that way, yeah. Well, that's it. Cuts both ways. Yeah. Um, interesting. No, I, uh, let's see. We've got another text here. His statement is his opinion. We talk about people protesting, exercising their constitutional right to free speech. He was doing the same thing. I have difficulty listening to a female broadcaster analyzing a baseball player's swing during a baseball game. We need to be stopped, stop being so wimpy in this country. You know, it, it, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, now you have, of course, more overlap, you do have more female. Matter of fact, um, I don't know if it's on Fox or if it's on ESPN, but there's a there's a woman who does baseball analysis who, candidly, is one of the best I've heard in, in a long time, you know, and uh, I, and I, I do understand that, okay, maybe it takes a little bit of used to because you're used to all these male analysts. I guess I, I look at this and um, in, in all honesty, I, I'm thinking, what what is this guy thinking? I, I mean, now, I understand that we live in a world, as I describe it, where people are politically correct and we're perpetually offended. I understand we live in this world where people wake up in the morning, put that chip on their shoulder and go around, and they're not happy until they found somebody to knock that off so then they can be offended. Now, having said all that, I mean, it is 2017. Women have been covering sports for a long, long time. Now, maybe... You know, in the world of football, you you have women who haven't played football like women have played basketball or women have played soccer or things like that, at least not on, on that type of level. But at the same time, that to, to even think that that means that women can't understand how the game is, is played or you've got a woman who is in a profession, is as a sports writer, who, you know, can't ask a, a relatively detailed, I don't even know that it was detailed, question that shows that she understands what it is that receivers do. I, I mean, I think, I'm going to be honest with you here, I think she has a right to be a bit offended. 
And and it would be, again, it would be the same situation if he said, gee, I, I can't believe that um, a Hispanic person, you know, would, would, have, would know to ask that question. I mean, this was an incredibly stupid thing for him to say. And the thing is, I, I guess I don't necessarily think it was just being dumb. I, I think he was... This was the legitimately, this was the way he ended up feeling, and he kind of expressed that, which perhaps says a lot about where, at least with some NFL players, where we are in 2017, and we haven't come that far. Because my, my guess is that, for example, this, this woman who is you know a professional, who's a journalist, who's been covering the team for the last year, my guess is she probably knows as much about football as certainly a lot of the guys that are out there. And I think it's, is it the biggest story of the day? No, but I do think it's a matter where, does he apologize for it? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure that he's necessarily sorry, but it does, I, I think, open up some interesting issues and should open up some eyes as to at least the way some of these some of these players still think in 2017. It's 1056. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes during the 11 o'clock hour, the Freedom From Religion Foundation back in the news, a very special pop culture corner, and in less than eight minutes, the absolute most bizarre story of the day. It is a Wisconsin story. It's got a PG-13 warning. I'll tell you all about it, and we'll discuss in just a couple minutes. It's 1059. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with Foxconn coming to southeastern Wisconsin. It's really, I I think, as I was saying earlier, I think it is going to really be a game changer when it comes to southeastern Wisconsin and, and the entire state. But that is not to say that there aren't going to be certain regions of the state of Wisconsin that are going to benefit more. And obviously, you know, one of the things that's going to certainly happen is, I mean, Foxconn, I think it's going to be good for the whole state, but I think it's going to be better for southeastern Wisconsin. There are a number of places in the state of Wisconsin that are doing extremely well. There are other areas that continue to struggle economically. People move away from the area. They don't see that there's particular job opportunities. Now, Gru, who's producing the program today, did you know that on the Wisconsin state flag, there is a minor? Do you know there's a minor on the state flag? You did. All right. Well, a lot of people, if you didn't know that there was a minor on the state flag, I would understand why, because even though there is a minor on the state flag, we don't do mining in the state of Wisconsin as a general rule. Matter of fact, when it comes to um, mining for for metals like zinc and copper and things like that, um, we we haven't done it for a long time, and it's not because there's not copper and zinc and gold and silver in various deposits. Um, there, it's not because of that. It's because in Wisconsin we are the only state in the country right now that has a moratorium on mining. The current law requires that a company seeking to develop a mine must prove to state officials that another mine in the United States or Canada opened for 10 years, was closed for 10 years without producing groundwater or surface water. Under um, And so as a result, companies just they, they can't get through this prohibition. Now, this is despite the fact that... Um, 
you know, the last mine that operated was, was the Flambeau mine, and that candidly is is pointed to as an example of really success. I mean, the, the Flambeau mine was something that operated, um, it's near Ladysmith, it was closed and reclaimed in 1999. It's one of these examples of, hey, they mined, they took the resources out, they fixed it up, and it, it's now, again, pointed to as an example of how this can be done. Now, just like you've got hardcore environmentalists and anti-freeway folks who were determined to fight to the death to stop the expansion of the interstate between uh, the Marquette Interchange and the Zoo Interchange, you've got a bunch of hardcore um, environmentalists particularly who don't think that you can ever do responsible mining. Well, you know, any time that you're going to go in, you're going to take minerals out of the ground, there's going to be some necessary, there's going to be some pollution, and this is horrible. Well, okay, what's going on now is there's legislation moving through the state Senate, and it advanced yesterday out of a committee on a three-to-two vote, which would essentially remove the mining moratorium. Again, the current law requires that somebody wanting to start a mine, a company, would have to prove to state officials that another mine in the United States or Canada operated for 10 years, was closed for 10 years, without polluting groundwater or surface water. Under the bill that's being introduced now, a mining company would have to show that the corporation was capable of running a mine that complied with environmental laws and didn't pollute much more liberal standard. Now, why is something like this important? It's because if you look at the geography of the state, what you see is, particularly in the northern part of this state, where if you want to have jobs, you know, what you're looking at is you're you're looking at taking advantage of the natural resources that are there. Um, There is a desire there are companies that I believe would be willing to come in here, would be willing to employ hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I mean, mining could be a multi-billion dollar industry in Wisconsin. They have mines in Michigan, including the Upper Peninsula. You have mines in Minnesota. Um, for example, the Eagle Mine in the UP, Eagle Mine in the UP, employs 450 people. They estimate it's going to have a $2 billion economic impact in Minnesota. Okay? So you've got that there, but we are passing this up because essentially, again, we've had this regulation effect, this moratorium, which makes it difficult, if not impossible, for companies to come in. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I says I said earlier, I think Foxconn is going to be a game changer for the state. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to think about the entire state. I'm not talking about strip mining. Um, I'm not talking about procedures that devastate the environment. But at the same time, there's got to be a balance. And right now in Wisconsin, we don't have that balance. Wouldn't it be a good thing for the communities, bringing jobs in, bringing the attendant businesses that come up and, again, support the, the mining operations, isn't it way past time to loosen the regulations and allow us to get back to what one of the things that was Wisconsin was founded on, which is mining? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's way past time to lift the mining moratorium. 
not to lift all the requirements, not to say that anybody that wants to come in here and start strip mining is allowed to do it, but to say that, hey, if you've got a plan and you can show that you can do this responsibly, yes, we want you to do it in Wisconsin. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wake up with Gene. There are no little games in the NFL, but some are always bigger than others, like when the Cowboys take on the Packers. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, gives us his preview. That's at 7.51 tomorrow morning. Wisconsin's Morning News with Gene Miller on 620 WTMJ. We have been talking about my pillow for a couple weeks now. Not my pillow is in the one I sleep on, but it is the one I sleep on. I'm talking about the my pillow brand pillows, and I'm here to tell you lots of people I know use them, and just like me, they're sleeping a lot better. My pillow is so sure that you will like it. They offer a 10-year warranty, and they offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. MyPillow keeps its shape all night long. It stays cool all night long. It's 100% machine, washable and dryable. And like I say, I sleep a lot better using this. Here is the deal that MyPillow has for you. 50% off two MyPillow premium pillows and two of their Go Anywhere pillows. You go to MyPillow.com. You'll see a box that says Radio Listener Special or four-pack of pillow specials. It, special. It'll ask you the promo code. You put in my last name, Wagner, and then you can get the deal. Four-pack of pillows for 50% off. MyPillow.com. Use the promo code Wagner. If it's easier, call their 800 number, 800-953-4163. Start sleeping better. It's 1125. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay. This is the strangest story of, of the week. It comes from lacrosse. Here's the deal. 3.30 a.m. Monday morning. So this would be Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, lacrosse police arrested two people for lewd conduct after they not were caught having sex in the back seat of a car, but refused to stop having sex in the back seat of the car. Here, here's the story. Apparently, there, there's an officer who's on patrol. I don't make this stuff up. Heard moaning coming from a car parked in the 900 block of Adams Street about 3.30 a.m., found the windows fogged and the vehicle rocking. Don't come a-knocking when this car is rocking. A woman who lives on the block called police, said the sound woke her up. Okay? So, all right, what happens is they, all right, so you, you, you get the idea here. So the officer investigates. You've got these noises. The car is bouncing up and down. Um, they have the names in the paper, 21-year-old guy, 20-year-old girl, both from lacrosse, were nude in the back seat and engaged in sex, the report stated. Okay? The officer bangs on the window, asks the couple to stop, right? then stood at the back of the vehicle and waited for them to get dressed. Right? Got me so far? All right. When they didn't emerge from the back seat, after five minutes... The officer looked back in and found they had resumed having sex. <laughs> I, I just, you almost don't know what to say about something like this, you know? All right. At that point in time, the officer opens the door. The guy tries to pull the door shut, telling the officer that, hey, man, you're blocking me, according to the, the complaint. The guy says to the cop, you're a man. You should understand. It's Oktoberfest weekend. Okay, so it's Oktoberfest. Now, now he's having this conversation at this point in time. Now the officer has gotten him out of the car, and it's three thirty in the morning. He's standing naked. 
The woman is naked in the back seat of the car, and he's saying, hey, man, you're a guy. You, you should understand this. It's Oktoberfest weekend, which is, of course, I guess the defense that you have in lacrosse. You know, if you, you want to have sex in the streets. Oh, okay. Um, so the, they, they have, I'm looking at the pictures. In the lacrosse tri- tri- tribune, they, they put the, the pictures of these two in there, and, um, well, I guess it's young love. Let, let me put it like this. Now, here's the even weirder thing about this story. Okay, so you come up, the car's rocking, the police officer knocks the, on the door. Um, excuse me, you know, you're going to have to stop this here. You know, get dressed, get out of the car. And then while he's waiting, they decide to go back and, and continue consummating their relationship. Um, and then, you know, so then they end up getting arrested. They were initially charged with lewd and lascivious conduct. The district attorney in La Crosse has decided not to prosecute, not to press charges. So um, I, I guess they get to get away, you know, scot-free with this, although their names and pictures have now been in the paper. And I'm sure I'm sure their mother and father, um, like I say, the one guy's 21, the gal is 20. Their pictures are in the La Crosse paper. Um, they're from La Crosse um, with the story being that, you know, they were – I guess, continually getting it on in the back seat of the car. So I, I'm sure mom and dad are just popping their buttons over the fact that, hey, you ended up, can you imagine, Gru, who's producing the show, can you imagine this? You know, this is how, you know, you're, you pick up the paper and that's what your picture is in the paper for. You know, it's kind of like, oh, mom and dad must be really happy with that particular thing. But in any event, I, I mean, I guess all's well that, that ends well on this particular story. However, I do have... Look, I, I do have some advice for this couple, and clearly, Oktoberfest weekend or not, clearly this was young love. And and who who wants far be it from me to stand in the way of of young love? I mean, it's Oktoberfest weekend, and apparently this is what goes on up in in Lacrosse. And three thirty in the morning, you know, you're in the back seat of the car. Yeah, who's that cop to be banging on the door? You know, it's it's. I mean, I I understand all those type of things, but still, moving forward. I, I would offer this couple just some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. Next time, next time you decide Oktoberfest weekend or not that you want to do this in the back seat of this particular car, my advice would be three words. Get a room. Get a room. It's that simple. Pop Culture Corner is coming up. It's eleven forty three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ Gru is producing the show Father and Son by Cat Stevens. You are a sentimentalist. Cool with me. 414-799-1620. We also broadcast this live. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We live stream it. Let's see some of our Facebook comments. Uh, Schaefer says, Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz. Um, Paul says, Jeff Buckley, Lover, You Should Have Come Over. Uh, Lenore says, Song Sung Blue and Sweet Caroline, uh, of course, by Neil Diamond. Scott says, uh, Time for Me to Fly. All right, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kevin in Sheboygan. Kevin, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. I'm very lucky. I've outkicked my coverage. I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. Um, yeah, my song is My Town by Ma- Montgomery Gentry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I grew up in the country, um, not too far away from here, and it just speaks to, you know, I mean, they're speaking of their home state, and it's like it feels like a, they're talking to me and anybody right. else, you know, where you're from. And, and just every lyric to the song, uh, it just, it it just hit home and heart, and I and then it just I keep hearing that song now, especially after Eddie, uh, not Eddie, but Troy Gentry's uh, right. tragic death in that helicopter crash. But yeah, that's my song, no. and I love lots of music. So um, that was one of the songs to the no, track of my life. E- exactly, it, and it speaks to you. Let's see, um, on our text line. 
Um, Tom writes, scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel. I was Eddie and my first wife was Brenda. Um, let's see. Um, Harry and Milton writes, Against the Wind by Bob Seeger. Says, all my life I've run against the wind, against traditional ways. Yeah, that's, that's the type of thing. You get these songs that just kind of capture that in so many different ways. Um, let's see. Um, Don Henley, My Thanksgiving. It's about how grateful he is for all the stuff in his life good and bad, since it led him to where he is right now, um, great way to look at life. Yeah, see, that's the type of stuff that music uh, music does. Donna writes, the song is Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. It still comes on, and I can still picture my husband and I on the dance floor of our wedding reception. We will be married 35 years on the 23rd of this month. That is absolutely great. Okay, 414-799-1620, the song that speaks to you. Gary in Milwaukee. Gary, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, congratulations Thank on you. your wedding. Thank you. I hope you have as many great years as my wife and I have. Yeah. Uh, that's outstanding. That's very kind of you. Thank you. I intend to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today is our 43rd wedding anniversary. Oh, outstanding. Well, I'm not sure I got, I'm not sure I'm going to make it 43 years, but I appreciate the sentiment. Congra- Let's see. Uh, congratulations. Obviously, you guys are doing something right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've always tried to do what's best for each other. That's tremendous. Okay, your song. Misty. By um, Johnny Mathis. Yep. Yeah. That was our wedding song. Yeah. Oh, very cool. That very cool. And 43 years later, it still works. 414 799 1620. Let's talk to. Um, uh, okay, let's see. We've got. Uh, is it um, Ellen in Whitefish Bay? No, this is Dave from Racine. Dave Wisconsin. from Racine. Go ahead, Dave. Good afternoon. How about. Uh, Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al Yankovic, a song that not only speaks to me, but it's a great song and a creed to live by. Um, well, anything by Weird Al, um, anything by Weird Al works for me. Thanks for the call. Let's talk to, okay, let's talk to um, Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Congrats on the marriage. Thank you. Uh, my song is Desperado. By oh, by the Eagles, sure. Yeah, it's just, uh, as a recovering alcoholic and addict, it's just uh, it's a little melancholy, but it's just a good song. Kind of reminds me where I was at, and kind of feels like it calls me back to a place of serenity. So. Wow! How um how how long have you been clean and sober? Uh, the seven years on the twelfth. Oh, congratulations! I know it's um. I, I just have so much respect for people who can do what you've done. So um, congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I've been listening to Desperado uh, multiple times that day, most likely. <laughs> Out- outstanding. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Ellen in Whitefish Bay. Ellen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. My son would be so crazy after all these years <laughs> by Paul Simon. Okay. just It's one of those things that you can just you can sort of relate to, growing older but not up, something like that, huh? counselor all my life okay a psychiatric counselor and there's a certain <laughs> irony to that song um yes there the irony is the more things change the more the more they stay the same i think in some ways uh still crazy after all these years thanks thanks for the call um john in oshkosh john you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning uh, i love this segment thanks uh well actually i've got two songs uh but uh one is by the Moody Blues uh, called New Horizons, just a beautiful song. And then uh, the other one is Never My Love. By, oh, yeah. Uh, the Association. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of a girlfriend that I had in Oshkosh. She went to school 
she was from Menominee Falls, and I was going out with her for about three months, and come to find out she was engaged. <laughs> Oops. my <laughs> <broke my> heart. <laughs> Oops. And, and it, it sounds like you still, it sounds like that, that you still remember. There's still that little aspect of there that you haven't quite gotten over, huh? It's that song, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we'll, 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 that's right. We'll blame it on the song. Um, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Harvey in New Olstein. Harvey, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I also wanted to uh, wanted to mention "Against the Wind" by mm-hmm. Bob Seger, "Silver right. Bullet," right? And just a song um, about my life, and mm-hmm. that's the way I felt anyway. Right, running against the wind. You know, I, it, it's interesting when I was thinking about this this topic. Th- there would probably be about a half dozen songs by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, and that's one of them, that what I could, I would consider, you know, putting, putting into this. Um, right. I, I mean, the whole album, Nine Tonight. Yeah. I, I just, no, no, thanks. I mean, and I just, I mean, I remember, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily give, it wouldn't be my definitive answer to this, but I mean, you know, Night Moves, I mean, every time that song comes on, it just, it just, you know, takes me back to a particular, you know, time in life. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, mine would be "Turn the Page" by Bob Seger. Uh, okay, that that would just be that would be another one. He, um, I used to be a roadie for a rock band in the late seventies. Really, and that is definitely how it is. <laughs> huh? Huh? What? Um? What? What? what would, it be, would it be a band that anybody would know that I would know? Well, we were local, and it was called Hurricane Express. Okay. Okay, but and it was, they just got back together and they're starting to get their act together and hit the road again. You're not going out on the road with them anymore, though, are you? No, my <laughs> brother is. Oh, cool. Okay, that's <laughs> no out, out outstanding. Um, yeah, boy, all these we're getting all these these Bob Seger type of responses. Okay, got to take this one. Cindy in Greenfield. Cindy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, Cherry Bomb by um, John Mellencamp. Cherry Bomb. Okay, okay. I'm I'm almost afraid to ask this, but why is that the song that particularly speaks to you? Because <laughs> the smoke was a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, there, there. Um, thanks for call. There, there you go. See that? That's the thing. You never know what you're going to do, and you never know where you're going to find uh, those particular songs. Let's talk to um, Tom. Uh, Tom Hello. in Milwaukee. Hi, Tom. Hi. How you doing? Real uh, well, thank you. The song. Great. Thanks. Um. Uh, I, I'm your captain, close to home by Grand Funk Railroad, uh, back in 1970. Okay. Uh, sitting in a guard tower in Vietnam, uh, on the midnight to 4 a.m. shift, and, uh, had my radio on kind of quietly, because, uh, I was starting to call China Sea against the, the Vietnamese Navy. But anyway, <laughs> I have one. And I'm sitting there listening to, uh, the radio, and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I picked up KRLA from Los Angeles, and they're playing on your captain and closer to home, and it was like, I was going to wake my buddies up. No, I got to come on duty at 4 o'clock, but anyway. Right, no. I, the Grand Funk, no, thanks. For, I mean, I, I remember that. I, I remember that Grand Funk Live double al- album back in the day. Okay, let's see. Let's try to take a couple more in. Um, Sandy and Sullivan. Sandy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm Hi, very Sandy. happy for you. Thank you. Um, we had Send in the Clowns, but it was by the Living Strings, and we played that when we walked into our wedding over oh. 40 years ago. Okay. And then Frank Sinatra did it with words, and now everybody that knows about it laughs because it was Send in the Clowns, and here we come. <laughs> that's, that's, and and that, that's, still, that's kind of still your motto to live by, huh? 
Oh, yeah. There you, you There you go. Thanks for the call. Um, let's see. Jane and Delavan. Jane, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, well, the song that um, I had a friend who died about a, a year and a half ago, and we would sit at my kitchen table, and when Running Down a Dream came on, or if I had it on the CD, we'd wait for it to come on, and we couldn't help but bounce up and down to the song. Right. And I had these chairs in my kitchen that would squeak every time you'd bounced up and down. So we would just be squeaking and bouncing to the song. Yeah. And every time that song comes out, I just start jumping up and down in my chair, even though she's not here anymore. It makes me remember her, and I loved the song. Um, it, 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 th- thanks for the call. I mean, it's just, it, and I wish we had more time to take some more calls. We're kind of out against time. If I had to pick, if I had to pick one, um, for me, it would be Jimmy Buffett, A Pirate Looks at 40, that they played at our wedding. And um, our, our wedding song, again, another Jimmy Buffett tune, it was Come Monday. Uh, that that was ours. All right, um, we, we have this. Well, this will continue to be up on our Facebook Live, so you can continue to participate. Lots and lots of responses on our text line as well. Um, there's just, and th- th- this is one of the reasons I like to do these segments, is just to kind of take us all back because... Um, if it, even if it wasn't a song that you heard over the course of the last 20 minutes, I'm sure that there is a song, more than others, that speaks to you. All right, speaking of speaking to you, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Steve Scafidi, Eric Bilstadt in the house. We'll find out what they have on their minds. Stick around. It's 1154.